blessed us with a, a wonderful family. And he has given us the privilege to have a small part in what God is doing for the last 40 years through NTM. It has indeed been a privilege. No regrets in terms of us saying yes to the Lord and, and in serving him. Uh, we served on the home staff for 15 years, then 10 years in the Philippines. And since 93, we have served on the executive board of, of the mission. And like I said, it's been a, a great honor to do that. And we'll focus in on some things in NTM as we go through the message this morning and in, in tonight as well as far as what God is doing through NTM. But I just want to say that up front here that we as a couple uh, feel incredibly blessed that we can have a small part in what God is doing. Uh, and we happen to do it in conjunction with NTM because God led us as a couple or as individuals first and as a couple to focus on the unreached people groups, those tribal people out there that have yet to hear the gospel for the very first time. But let's look at the scriptures this morning. That's the foundation for what we believe. John chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses and think of some thoughts from this particular portion of scripture. The gospel of John chapter 4. And I want to start reading from verse 31, but we'll focus in particular on verse 35. John chapter 4, verse 31 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, and lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. May the Lord bless these words to our hearts this morning. I would like for us to think about the thought of why look on the fields. Now, as we break into this conversation here, in, in, uh, we find that the disciples had been in town looking for food, right? They had left the Lord Jesus weary and tired and hungry, and they have gone into town to buy food. Now they have come back. And to their surprise, they find the Lord Jesus isn't hungry. He, he is energized. He is refreshed. And they can't figure out why. Had somebody given him something to eat? And they couldn't quite grasp the thought of what the Lord says here in verse 34 when he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his task. They were focused on the physical. They were focused on bread, if you will, and food that would nourish his body and our bodies. He wanted to focus their attention on the spiritual, on, like he says, the will of God, and to accomplishing his work. His conversation with this woman had just ended, right? Grace had won a wonderful victory. A woman had been born again. She was now a member of the family of God, and in fact, this lady had now gone and witnessed to her own people. And in fact, was influencing them now to come to the Lord. And this blew the disciples away. Because after all, the Jews don't have any connection, right? Don't have any fellowship with the Samaritans. But he, they, he is demonstrating for them 
I believe, right in this context, the issue of missions, that the concern that we need to have for the whole world. And I would like for us to think about that a little bit here this morning. First of all, I would like for us to think about the Lord of the harvest himself. Because there's a reference to him and what he was like in his relationship to the Father in this particular uh, case. If you go back to John, uh, verse 29, the woman said, come and see a man. Come and see a man. I read that the other night and I thought, you know, that's where we need to f- start. We need to start by focusing on him, the Lord. Before we focus on ourselves, before we focus on the world, we need to look at the Lord Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, looking unto whom? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Because really, ultimately, it's not about us. It's not even about the world. It's about him. Remember Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah had an upward vision, an inward one and an outward one. He first saw the Lord high and lifted up. Then he saw himself in his own sinfulness. And then he saw the world. But it started out by looking at the Lord. And I think it's healthy, it's wholesome, it's right for us to focus on him first and who he is in all of his greatness, in all of his grace, and in all of his faithfulness. The pastor reminded us at the very beginning this morning about the fact that he is faithful, right? The Lord is faithful. And it's good to focus on him because it's really all about him. If you back up in the text just a little bit more, you'll find that the Lord and this woman... They converse about what subject? Worship. Of all places to introduce the subject of worship to this Samaritan woman. But that's just what he did. And that reminded me, of too, of the fact that when it comes to focusing on missions, we need to focus on him and that he be worshipped by people everywhere. As has been said so well, mission exists because worship doesn't. There are places in this world this morning where people are not worshiping the God of this universe, the God that you and I know. And because he is not being worshipped by these people and these people groups, mission exists today. And we must go to them with a message of the gospel so they too can worship the one that we love and adore. And so we find here that we are introduced to him, the Lord Jesus, and it's revealed to us what his relationship is is with the Father. And I believe it's important that we keep that in mind because the Lord himself says what? As the Father has sent me, what do you say? So send I you, right? Matthew 19 says that we are to go for his sake. Acts chapter 9 says that we are to suffer for his sake. And Romans chapter 1, Paul says that he brought the faith to the nations for his sake. It's really all about him. But as you look at this text, you find the Lord Jesus and his relationship with the Father in the sense that he, was a, he had a heart for the will of God, first of all. He had a heart for the will of God. We find here that he was hungry to do the will of the Father, it says. He says in John, several places, but in one in John, I think, 829, he says, My aim is to please the Father. He longed to do that. And I believe he demonstrated that by reaching out to this particular woman. Doing the will of the Father was not a heavy burden for the Lord Jesus. It was his delight. He says in in Psalms, talking about the Lord, he desired to do the will of the Father. 
And knowing and doing the will of the Father is something that gave him strength. It energized him. He says, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And it's a challenge to me in terms of my, me serving the Lord. Am I finding that energizing my heart, the opportunity to have a place in, in his work? I believe the Lord desires for that. In that in blessing, we are being blessed. What well, it says in Proverbs, there is the scattereth, yet increaseth, right? There is the withholdeth and attendeth to poverty. And we find the Lord Jesus, he had the heart for the will of the Father, but he also had a heart for the world, for the Father. He took it one step further, I believe, in this particular text. I find it interesting when you look at chapter 1 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. Then in chapter 3, we're introduced to a man. In chapter 4, we're introduced to a woman. In chapter 3, we're introduced to a very moral man, Nicodemus. And in chapter 4, a very immoral or a social outcast, I should say. And in chapter 3, we find a man coming at night. In chapter 4, we find a woman coming in the middle of the day at noon. And yet, the Lord loved both of them. The Lord desired to reach both of them because he wanted to reach people wherever they were. And I believe that's what missions is all about. This place that the Jews and the disciples tried to avoid, Samaria, is the very place that, the place that in chapter 4 he says he must go. The Lord had to go into Samaria to reach them. And to me, it's what the Lord is doing here to the disciples as he reshares with them about his relationship to his father is he wanted to move their attention from the physical to the spiritual, for one. And he wanted to move their attention from just focusing on the Jewish people to the whole world. Why? Because John 3.16 says what? I quoted to you in my mother tongue, but it says what? For God so loved the what? World, right? For God so loved the world. Peter writes and says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish. Paul writes to Timothy and says, God wants all men to be saved. From Genesis to Revelation, we find God's heart being the world. And we find that the Lord Jesus had that on his heart as well. And so as we look, as we glance at the Lord of the harvest, we find the Lord Jesus having a heart for the will of God and a heart for a world for the Lord. But then in, chapter, in verse 35, we find the look of the harvest. Because he says there, lift up your eyes, which is an expression was used when, to pay when we, he wanted us to pay attention to something, as you know. He wants us to lift up their, our eyes and look in the fields. The disciples had just been in Samaria. I wondered if it occurred to them to tell the people of Samaria that the Savior was outside the gates and desired to save them. I doubt it. I don't think that was on their mind at all as they were in there. No, they were in there for physical food. And yet we find that the Lord reminds them both by what he says and by what he does that he loves the whole world. He wants people everywhere to hear the gospel. And so to me, at least, he is lifting up their eyes. He wants them to see the world. But why? But why? I read about an uh, art critic by the name of John Ruskin, I think his name was, who was asked at one point in time, what is the qualification for being a good painter, a good artist? And he says the qualifications are three. If you want to be a good artist, you have to have eyes to see with, a heart to feel with, 
and hands to perform with. He said, if you want to be a good artist, you have to be able to see the beauty that you're going to paint. You have to be able to allow that beauty to register in your heart. And then you have to be able to take what you have seen and what you have felt and transfer it to the canvas to be a good artist. And when I read that, I thought, you know, that's exactly why the Lord Jesus wants us to lift up our eyes. He wants us to see something. He wants us to feel something. And he wants us to do something about what we have seen and what we have felt. In other words, first of all, he wants us to lift up our eyes for information's sake. He wants us to be informed. Informed. And uh, he says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're wide unto harvest. The, the expression of the harvest field, of course, is used over and over again in the scriptures. Um, Paul talks about wanting to go to Rome that he may have fruit amongst them, a harvest amongst them. And we could uh, refer to a number of the scriptures. But here the Lord Jesus is referring to a, a proverb, uh, a familiar Jewish proverb about the, the waiting, the four months, and then comes the harvest. And he probably, as he did it, he says, you say that, but I say, lift up your eyes. And very possibly, as he said that, a throng of people were coming out from Samaria, dressed in white, possibly, and he could see them coming, and he pointed to them and say, look, the fields are white. They are ripe unto harvest. In that sense, that might have happened there, but it reminds us of the fact that the field is ripe. It's ready for, for harvest, and we know that the field is the world. And that's what he wanted to emphasize here, that it was more than just Israel that he was concerned about. He was concerned about the world. He did not just want them to think about the harvest being in the future or at a distance. He wanted them to see it's right upon them right now. The field is the world. And we know that in verse 42, you probably have noticed that wonderful expression when he talks about the Lord Jesus not only is the field the world, but he is the savior of the world. But that wasn't said by the disciples. That was said by these newly new believers who already hadn't just found a savior, a salvation, but they had found the savior of the world. He says, lift up your eyes. And as we look up around today, folks, and lift up our eyes and look at the world, what do we see? Oh, yeah, we see the six billion plus people in the world. A staggering number. We see in terms of the world that I live in, in New Transmission, we look at languages, and there are about 6,700 different languages in the world today. As we lift up our eyes and look in the fields, we find that between two and 3,000, 2,500 language groups are yet without the gospel. They have yet to hear John 3.16. They have nothing of the scriptures. They have not heard the word of God. There's a staggering task yet as far as the unreached people groups are concerned. You look at one country alone. If we just focus in on one country alone, Indonesia, this huge country with 13,600 different islands on it, the fourth largest population in the world in terms of a country, the country that is mainly Muslim, but there are four other religions that are allowed there, and one of them is Protestant Christianity. It's allowed in the country as well. But in that particular country, what do we have? 850 different languages. I'm not talking about dialects between the South and, <clears throat> and the Midwest and the Northeast. I'm talking about distinct languages. 
just in one country alone. And we as NTM work only in a few of them. And other missions work in a few more. There's a staggering need just on the, on the part that's called, it used to be called Irian Jaya, called Papua today. There are loads of language groups there, tribal people that are totally, totally folks in heathen darkness. They have never heard about the Lord Jesus. They will never hear through the radio programs and the TV programs. They must have people go because nobody speaks our language. And we must go to them. And the need is great. So as we lift up our eyes and look in the fields, they are indeed white unto harvest. But let me say, though, that a person is as lost in Kalamazoo, Michigan, as he is in Kenya, West Africa. A soul is as precious here as it is in Latin America. The issue is not that. The issue is, are there resources there so they can be saved if they want to? And they are not. There are so many places there where we are in desperate need of labors, and I believe that's one reason why the Lord says, lift up your eyes and look on a field. But he doesn't just want us to be informed. He wants us to become interested in what we're seeing. He wants us to move from just information about stats to an interest in souls. That here are men and women that are without Christ. That they may not continue to say, using that expression from Psalm 142, where it says, no man careth for my soul. Thus cry the millions. We have a song in New Tribes that we used to sing. No man careth for my soul, thus cry the millions. No man careth for my soul, oh, hear their plea. Know that that information about the lost and dying world, the unreached people groups of the world, might create an interest in our hearts in them. That we might focus on, not ourselves, but on others. We have that poem, Others... Yes, Lord, others, let this my motto be, help me to live for others, that I may live for thee. I believe that's what the Lord desires. I don't know about you, but I'm naturally selfish. Any, anyone in my group here? Anybody else with me in this one? I am by nature selfish. I really am. By nature, tend to think about me, and, uh, and sometimes... I don't want to reveal that to you, and so I dress it in a way that it looks pretty spiritual. But we all have that tenacity, that tendency to be... We're kind of like that young girl who desperately wanted to get married. She wanted a husband really bad, but she realized she couldn't be too selfish in her prayers. And so she said, Lord, I don't want to ask anything for myself, but could you please give my mother a son-in-law? <laughs> That's kind of the way we are. It's, it's really about us. And the Lord is saying here to them, remember others. And folks, this morning, they're dying in, tri in tribal groups around the world without ever having heard the name of Jesus. And they won't hear unless people from here and other places in this world where they know the Lord are willing to go. He wants us to focus on others, to have an interest in Others. There's a desperate need for us to move from information to interest in them. God said to Abraham, I will bless you and what? And make you a blessing, right? 
he said to Moses, Moses, yes, I want to deliver you from Egypt, but more than that, I want you to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. He said to Joshua, what? Joshua, I want you to go into the promised land and enjoy the land. Absolutely. No, Joshua, more than that, I want you to take the people into the promised land. It was about others. It reminds me of William Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, sent a message out to all of his soldiers around the world. He wanted encouragement at Christmas time. He couldn't afford to send a big telegram. And he sent a telegram with one word on it. One word only. Guess what it was? Others. Others. And I believe God wants to deepen our concern for others. And on my heart this morning is particularly the people groups of the world that are without the gospel. But he goes on. He doesn't just want us to be informed and become interested. He wants us to become involved in the task. That we could say what Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, he says, I will, he says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Involvement with them in what they're doing. And there's a tremendous need for that today, for us to get involved in missions. Do you realize that we have tribal groups in Papua New Guinea and in Papua, which is the Indonesian's half of that island, that we have actually letters from some groups that can write, but we also have people that have come in from these tribes and begged us to send missionaries to them? Literally, we have. Well, we may say, well, we wonder what their motive is. Yeah, that's true. The fact is, though, the door is open. They have said, please, send. they have seen what has happened in some tribes where our missionaries have gone and have learned the language and have identified with the people and preached the gospel. There's a church there. They see the lives changed in their neighboring tribes. And they said, could you send us a missionary? We have numerous requests. And we have only been able to respond to a few. Why? Because the harvest is great and the laborers are what? Few. We are in desperate need of more laborers. But I believe God wants us to get involved in missions. He wants me to be involved. He wants you to be involved. James Farmer was involved in the, I think, equal rights movement or whatever it was. He was speaking to a group of, of black people as he was rallying them to get involved in this movement. And he challenged them to not just be interested in it, but really get involved in this thing. Afterwards, one of the listeners came up to him and said, Mr. Farmer, what do you want from me? I am just an innocent bystander. To which Mr. Farmer responded, if you're a bystander, you're not innocent. And I suggest to you that if we as believers, as Christians, as born-again children of God this morning, are only bystanders when it comes to missions, We're not innocent. I believe God wants all of us to be involved, by the way, in going or giving or praying, whatever it might be the Lord may lay on your heart to do. I believe that's what we have here. Just like this woman, freshly born again, if you will, just a new child of God, and she goes immediately into her town to tell the people about the Lord and brings them out. And so I find here that the story focuses us on the Lord of the harvest, and who he is, and the honor that we have to worship him and to obey him and to be part of what he's doing. 
But he also gives us a look at the harvest in terms of it being white, it's ready, and there's a tremendous need out there. But we find at the end of it that he reminds us of the labors for the harvest as well. That the last verses we read there reminds us of the fact that it takes laborers, and there are different layers of service, if you will. There are different ministries we have. He talks about sowing and reaping here. He talks about different ministries, opportunities that we have as believers, and I think it's good for us to be reminded of that, that it takes various parts, and all of us are important members of that. Sometimes maybe when you sit at home and you're giving and you may not be going or you may not be able to give so much or maybe you aren't, maybe do, you remember something, God has a place for you. I think the theme of the conference is what, where is your, what was it, where is your mission field? What was it? Huh? Where is your field? Where is your field? Your field may be right here. But I believe by being right here, you can impact the world globally. I mean, with the gospel, by your part, by encouraging your missionaries, by praying for them, by giving to them and to the church and to the cause of of Christ. He has different parts for us. There are those who are the preachers. There are those who are the bookkeepers. There are those who are the computer programmers. There are those who are the Bible translators. There are those who teach people to read and so on. They're all important. Don't ever let the devil tell you that your ministry is not important. It's extremely important. It may not be as visible as some others. Sowing is not as visible when you're sowing the seed as when you're doing the harvest. The harvest is exciting. But there are times that God calls on you just to sow the seed and to pray. And by the way, you, like it says there in this text, you may not actually see the results. But God will give it. When the first missionaries came to my home country uh, over 100 years ago from England, really tough. But the first missionary came from England. He worked for 14 years without one single convert. 14 years. He preached, he testified, he shared the gospel, he built relationships, absolutely resentment. He was just, just resisted everywhere. But he believed God had called him and he kept witnessing and I'm so glad he did. Remember what Galatians says? Don't become weary in well-doing, because in due season we shall reap what? If we faint not. He didn't. And as a result of that man's faithful witness to the Lord, today there are thousands of believers on those islands in the North Atlantic. And in fact, from the Faroe Islands, there are missionaries all around the world today. All around the world today. His ministry was one of faithfully doing his part. For others, it's praying. Be faithful to him. You probably heard the story about the lady that played the organ. It was back in the days when they would pump the organ. How many of you remember organs that were pumped? There's a few. We're glad to admit it, right? We're proud to admit it. But this lady was playing at a concert, a beautiful piece of music, and a little boy was pumping the organ. And when she was done with a piece of music, the entire audience stood up and applauded. Wow, that was terrific. And the boy, as the people were applauding, excuse me, he looked up to the lady and said, Ma'am, didn't we play a beautiful piece of music? And she said to him, Sir, she didn't say sir, she said, Boy, we didn't play it. 
I did. The boy was a little embarrassed. <clears throat> Didn't say anything more. Finally, the applause died down, and it comes time for her to play the next piece of music. <laughs> she puts her fingers on the keys, and she pushes down, and guess what happened? Nothing. She looks at the boy, and she says, boy, pump, pump. And he says, ma'am, who played the last piece of music? You or we? And she says, okay, we did, we did. He started pumping, and she could play again. You know my point? Her job was more noticed. Her job took more practice. Her job took more skill. But it was not more important. God may be calling on you to pump the organ for this church. I don't see any pump organs up here, but you know what I mean. Be faithful pumping, because God has others out there playing. There are layers of service, but there's also levels of success in terms of visible success. Some will see great numbers, others might not, like I refer to you from my home country, but let's just be faithful to him wherever he has called us. God may be calling you to sow seed and you may not even see the result in your lifetime, but God has promised that he will give the increase, right? He said, my word will not return void. He talks about going out, bearing precious seed, right? Sowing with tears and so on. And that's the privilege that we have. And we could talk about tribal people today where that's been the case, where people have given of themselves faithfully to the task. And so my challenge to us this morning is lift up our eyes. Can we look on the fields? Can we still look at those tribal people, those people groups out there? Oh, yes, by the way, there's staggering needs in California and in this country as well. Don't get me wrong. And in Europe. Europe is probably as heathen as any continent today. But on my heart this morning are those people groups that are not going to hear unless we have men and women, young and old, who are willing to devote their time and attention to get that job done. And we have a choice. We can say, yes, Lord, I will be involved, or no. And maybe God is calling on you to pump the organ or play the organ. I don't know what it is. But I'll just conclude with this saying that I remind myself of, and it says this. You and I, we are free to choose, but we are not free to choose the consequences of our choice. But God tells me that whatever I sow, that will I also reap. May God help us to say this morning, Lord, here am I with Isaiah Send me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these dear brothers and sisters in Christ who are here this morning. And the heart that they have for your word, your work, your gospel, their love for the Lord Jesus.